0: In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then... God brought forth the earth and the seas, and he saw that it was good. The earth brought forth vegetation, and God saw that it was good. God put lights in the sky, sea creatures in the sea, birds and mammals on the earth, and God saw that it was good. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed life into him. And God saw that it was not good that man should be alone. This is the first time it's said in the Bible that something was not good. And so God said, I will make him a helper as his partner. God put the man to his sleep and took one of his ribs from the side, and from the rib he made woman. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. We are continuing tonight in our series on relationships. Last week, we heard from Nate talking about a biblical perspective of masculinity. And this week, I have the terrifying honor of speaking to you on a biblical view of womanhood. I will be honest, I don't think this topic is an easy one. Um, I think there's a lot of tension around this topic in our culture and in the church. And to be honest, even though I have 24, a little more than that, years of experience of being a woman and about six years of following Jesus, approaching the topic of biblical womanhood is still intimidating to me. It can feel like walking on a tightrope. I think this topic has sometimes been addressed poorly or confusingly, and I don't want to add to that, but I also am still learning myself what it means to be a woman of God. In fact, I really didn't ever think about my identity as a woman very much at all throughout most of my life until about a year ago when I happened to get into a wonderful relationship with a man. (laughs) Brought me to think a lot more about it. Thankfully, the word of God is not a tightrope. It is a rock for us to stand on. As the psalmist says, you have set my feet in a broad place. He has set our feet in a broad place. You have set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. I know that there are a lot of questions surrounding this topic. Maybe you walked in here with some of them swirling through your head. Like, what is womanhood? Does being a woman have any bearing on how we dress or what we do with our hair or if we wear perfume or not? What is a woman's role in a relationship or in a family or in the church? Is the Bible oppressive to women? These are all really good questions. Um, But I want to give a disclaimer that I'm really not going to answer them, (laughs) at least most of them. Because we have 25 minutes and not 25 sermons. Um, And so I would encourage you, the questions you have, write them down. They don't scare God. And they probably won't scare your small group leader. And if they do, then it's good for y'all to dive into those together. But tonight, I really want to give a pretty simple message. I probably won't say anything you haven't heard before, which is that women bear the image of God. And a woman's value and purpose is founded in bearing the image of God. Okay, so that's where we're going. Firstly, a woman's value is founded in bearing the image of God. I believe we see this in a lot of ways, but two of the ways I want to talk about it is in creation and through Jesus' life, how we see this, okay? Um, And this really, people being made in the image of God, is the... What the foundation for why Christians believe that all human lives have equal value. God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In his image, he created them male and female, he created them. I think we can probably think of a lot of good reasons why God would want to make two genders, right? You remember God said it was not good for man to be alone for companionship, right? Companionship is a good thing. These two are also called to be co-laborers. They were given the shared task to have dominion over the earth, and in that verse, we read at the beginning, when God says, I will make him a helper as his partner, that's Genesis 2.18, that word helper is actually a pretty weak translation of the Hebrew word ezer. Okay, the word ezer means a strong helper or one whose strength fills in the weak spots. This word is used twice in the Bible to describe women, and it's used 19 times in the Bible to describe God himself if that gives you a better picture of the word. So they are co-labors. They are partners in having dominion over the earth. They're also called to be fruitful and multiply. Having two genders is good for that, too. Helpful. Um, That's a command that they were given and can fulfill. But this is where I want to focus is... um, that God says in, in God's image he created them, male and female he created them. God's image is most fully expressed in the two genders. We use masculine language for God as father, and we know that Jesus was biologically male, but the Bible tells us that God has both masculine and feminine characteristics, which we will get into a little deeper in a bit. So we see the value of women in creation, being created in God's image, but also in the way Jesus honored the image of God in women during his time on the earth. The way that Jesus treated women would have been seen as pretty scandalous in the culture of his day in ancient Israel. Um, Firstly, the fact that he had followers that were women— um, it was pretty unheard of for women to be taught by rabbis. Um, and so especially for them to spend so much time with him, right, traveling with him, um, having relaxed love time with him would have been, yeah, not, not seen. <laughs> um, secondly, I think of the woman who had the chronic bleeding condition. Um, she basically abandons all social rules, and reaches out to touch the hem of Jesus' cloak. And when he sees her, he doesn't shame her. He honors her. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And then I think of the woman caught in adultery being accused, slandered, and shamed by the religious men of the day. And Jesus sees beyond her sin. He treats her with compassion and highlights her worth and value as an image-bearer of God. E. Stanley Jones, in his book, Christ of the Indian Road, he says, Jesus did not argue the worth of womanhood and the necessity of giving them equal rights. He treated them with infinite respect, gave to them his most sublime teaching, and when he arose from the dead, he appeared first to a woman. Secondly, a woman's purpose is founded in bearing the image of God. And I wanna talk about how we as women live into that calling. By the way, men, just as a note, I know you all are attentively listening, but this is for you too, um, because you have women in your life that you are called to be ushering into godliness. And so, yes, welcome. Um, so I believe there are three ways, um, there's definitely more. I chose three. (laughs) Three ways that we live into our calling to bear God's image. One would be to let Jesus be the one to define our womanhood. Secondly, would be to look to the Bible for our purpose. And finally, make heroes of women of God. I'm sorry, that Um, mm, font did not transfer well Um, my bad that's my bad so I believe the key to all of this is really found at the end of the book of Proverbs it's known as the book of wisdom in chapter 31 if you've ever stepped foot in a Hobby Lobby you've definitely seen this verse written in some scripty font on a wooden sign probably on sale praise God um and the verse says this, don't let the scripty font fool you. This is weighty, okay? Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is really a clinching statement of the whole passage of Proverbs 31, um, and actually a, a clinching statement of the whole book of Proverbs. This is the very end of the book of Proverbs, and it's cool that it, this idea of the fear of God bookends the book because Proverbs 1.7, in the first chapter, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, so we see everything that God teaches us about wisdom in this book is connected to this first idea of fearing the Lord. To let Jesus redeem our womanhood, to fully bear his image in us, we must start with a healthy fear of the Lord. Spurgeon describes the fear of the Lord this way. He says, Blessed is the man whose heart is filled with that holy fear which inclines his steps in the way of God's commandments inclines his heart to seek after God and inclines his whole soul to enter into fellowship with God that he might be acquainted with him and be at peace. So how do we live into this calling? In the fear of the Lord, we must let Jesus define our womanhood. I guarantee you a lot of people in your life could tell you what they think womanhood should be. <laughs> They would want to define it for you. Um, Some of us are going home for Thanksgiving next week. Um, I bet you have family members who would try to define it for you. Um, The media will try to define for us what womanhood is. And sometimes we even get an unspoken message um, that we should suppress our womanhood in order to be respected or successful in the world. And all of these messages will surely miss the mark in some way and devalue the fullness of our identity. We all have a lens and perspective of gender that's been broken by the messages we've received from the world, by our own sin and by the sin of others. And so we need Jesus to redeem. We are like a sculpture trapped inside of a block of marble. Michelangelo, when he was describing how, I don't know which of his sculptures it is, if we have any art people in here, you may know. Um, He says that he made this incredible sculpture of an angel, and he told someone, I saw the angel in the marble, and I carved until I set him free. And I imagine that that's how God sees us, right? He sees us in our block of marble and he sees us in there and just wants to set us free. But we cannot free ourselves. A statue can't free itself from a block of marble. We cannot define ourselves. In fact, Jesus tells us something you may be familiar with in Matthew 16, verse 25. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever will lose their life for his sake will find it. We need Jesus to have the chisel in our life. I love the ODG Elizabeth Elliot, old dead gal. She says in her book, Let Me Be a Woman, we cannot look to our culture or even within ourselves to define our womanhood. This strength to answer the call to womanhood is given as we look up toward the love that created us, remembering that it was love that first most literally imagined sexuality that made us, at the very beginning, men and women. For a while, I did think that I could define myself, that I could choose my identity, and that was a very scary time in my life. It was around high school because I felt... Very uncertain all the time about who I was. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I feel this way, and sometimes I feel that way, and this way, and this, and there's, it could go on forever. Um, And because of this, I suffered a lot from anxiety. When I joined Chi Alpha in college, started meeting people who loved Jesus, I started seeing Jesus more clearly as I started to spend time with him, absorbing his word, and I realized he was not asking me to define myself, to define my identity. He was simply asking me to find my identity in him, to give him the chisel, to look at him as the artist, let him have at it. (laughs) And there was so much freedom in that and so much chiseling that happens from that. (laughs) I'm pretty unrecognizable from that person, and yet I know he's not done. We must determine in fear of the Lord if we will let him be Lord of all, including our womanhood. Will you let Jesus define your womanhood? Secondly, we need to look to the Bible for purpose. The word of God is amazing, believe that it is inspired by God through and through, that it applies to every culture, every time, every person. And so I want to go to the Bible again, um, this, back to Proverbs 31. The picture that we're given in Proverbs 31 of a woman of God, a woman who fears God, highlights a lot of aspects of her character. It's a lot more about character than it is about culture or clothing or anything else. It says that she is strong, courageous, wise, kind, generous, a selfless servant, pure, righteous. Sounds a lot like Jesus to me. And an overall picture that we are given in Scripture is this call to nurture. We see this in Proverbs 31. It says that she does good to her house, she provides for her family. She's prepared, she looks after her home. She is a fierce caretaker. And we also see throughout the word God being depicted as a nurturing mother. This, I believe is a signal to us, our call to be nurturers. I don't believe that this is just a calling in motherhood or in marriage, but it's for every woman to let him grow in us now, no matter where we're at. And that word, nurturing, may evoke certain images for you, okay, for me, the first thing that comes to mind is stroking a pony, and I don't know why, but that's what it brings to mind, okay? You may have something else like gentle, just, you know, soft, gentle, that's what I think of, Um, And I think maybe God wants to expand. I see some nurturing going on back here. It's very nice. Um, (laughs) This is nurturing is a big, powerful deal. Nurture is caring in tangible, physical ways for people, and that is a high calling, okay? But... The definition of nurturing is to help or encourage the development of. Okay? That is more than just physical caretaking. And we see this in Proverbs 31, verse 26. It talks about this woman opening her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness being on her tongue. That sounds a lot like discipleship to me. One of the ways we nurture others is through speaking truth to them, encouraging them in godliness, encouraging them with the word. A woman who nurtures others' souls is a woman who's a willing vessel for the Holy Spirit to use. And I believe that this is a call to us in sisterhood, that we can learn to nurture in sisterhood and be nurtured in sisterhood. We need that. I think of Kaylee Austin and how every time we spend time together, she was on staff here um, a few years ago. I feel so cared for by her. I feel so known and seen, not because she gives incredible back rubs, but because she speaks the truth in love into my life. She is in tune with the Holy Spirit and she's willing to risk our friendship to challenge me because she loves me that deeply. That is nurturing to me. Finally, I think we need to consider the female heroes that we've made. Who are they? What women are you listening to, filling your thought life with? What is their character like? The kingdom women I know have helped redeem my view of of womanhood because I've noticed that they are strong and it's because they've embraced weakness. They're filled with conviction because they don't lean on their own understanding. And they're leaders because they have embraced the blessedness of surrender. And ultimately, our call to womanhood is a call to be like God, to bear his image to the world. Lastly, this image-bearing to others may take place in a romantic relationship, which is, welcome to the series that we're in. (laughs) So thank you for the woot. But yeah, yeah. You can thank Chad for that. Um, (laughs) Okay, so how does this apply, how does this all apply to a relationship with a man? I believe that in a relationship, we are called to bring a whole image of God into the relationship. A lot of people might say or think that a relationship is a half completing another half becoming whole. But God's math is different. We just, yeah, it just is. His math is a whole person, a person who is broken and insufficient but made whole in Christ, joins with another whole person to make a whole person. If we have not found our value and our purpose in Christ, ladies, we will try to find it in something else. And it will likely be the person that you're smitten with. If you do not want Jesus more than you want a relationship, might I carefully suggest that you might not be ready for a relationship. They cannot be the hand to free you, to give you identity, to shape God's image in you. A man can be a tangible representation of Jesus for us, praise God. But he cannot be Jesus for you. He cannot make you feel beautiful the way that Jesus can. He cannot free you from the block of stone. In fact, many girls in this room might have been hurt by giving the chisel to the wrong person. He cannot make you feel empowered the way Jesus can. He cannot give you Jesus' heart to nurture others like Jesus can. Your image of God is a gift to your partner. will bless, minister to, and refine them. Praise God. So I want us to respond a little bit tonight if you want to play some keys. I have really a simple question that I just want us to reflect on with the Lord. Um, Men, what all have you allowed to shape your view of women? Is it aligned with God's heart? And if it's not aligned with his heart, take this moment to repent of that and ask him to reshape your view. Women, what have you allowed to shape your view of womanhood, both for yourself and for the other women in your life? If it's not aligned with God, this is a chance to repent and ask him to reshape your view.